Very good morning to all of you on this uh, cold morning. All right, you guys have overcome the rain to be here. You're overcomers. I thank God for you all. Now, we are in the middle of our Advent preaching series. If you don't realize by now that three weeks prior to Love Came Down, which you have heard a lot about, uh, the theme of our preaching all revolves around the theme of Christmas. Because granted, whether you are Christian or a non-Christian, Sometimes the true meaning of Christmas can be lost on us. For some of us nowadays, Christmas is about shopping. You know, it's driving up the economy, go and buy gifts, wrap them up, and on Boxing Day we tear them up and gifts that we don't like, next year we give it to someone else. Right? And for some of us, uh, Christmas is about getting together with friends or with family and oftentimes going on holidays together. I know some of us are planning for a white Christmas. Some of us are away. In fact, my family will be going away after this weekend's preaching, and we are looking forward to that. And for some people, yet, Christmas is about partying. You know, before I was a Christian, uh, more than 20 years ago, every Christmas Eve, I only had one mission in mind, and that is to get drunk. And then after that, I tried to beat the hangover, recover, so that I can get drunk on, Christ- on New Year's Day again. You know, and when I first became a Christian, I remember on my first Christmas Eve, uh, at a s- struck, when, when the clock struck midnight, I bought a cake out in my room, and I lit the candle, and I sang Happy Birthday to Jesus. And after that, I said, I'm so sorry, I've missed your birthday all these years. I'll never miss it again. And for yet some others, Christmas is about Christmas jingles. Mariah Carey. All I want for Christmas is you, the hot favourite. And recently there's a saga I heard on BBC when she came out into the press to self-proclaim herself as the Queen of Christmas. Subsequently, a lot of artists came out and laid claim to that. So Christmas can mean a lot of things, sometimes so much so that we forget about the Prince of Christmas. And that is why we are running this Advent series so that we can relook Christmas, hopefully to rediscover it, and then hopefully prayerfully reapply ourselves. And so it was my aim today, and I wanted to bring us to a passage that is not so often looked at during Christmas. And this passage is taken from the book of Luke, and I'll be sharing from chapter 2, verse 25 to verse 35, of which I will read, and it will be flashed on the screen. And I begin on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child. He was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said, In the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord God, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. Now today, my focus for the message is actually based on verses 29 to 35, which contains a prophecy, the prophecy from Simeon pertaining to the work and the faith of Jesus. But I thought it would be good for me to give you a context of what had brought the Holy Family to the temple on this chosen day. And we start from the first verse that we had read. That Jesus, a name which was given to him by an angel of the Lord before even his birth, had been circumcised in accordance to the Old Testament ritual that was given unto Abraham and his offspring as a sign of God's covenantal promise. This cutting right, which do not apply to us today, thankfully for the guys, because the old covenant had been replaced by the new covenant, whereby the ritual of circumcision have now been replaced by baptism. But though the form may have changed, the significance remains the same. Circumcision and baptism holds with it, among many things, two key twofold significance. First, circumcision as to baptism signifies that a person is cutting himself off from the rest of the world, from the world of the idolatry and paganism, so that the person can be set apart and consecrated to be God's covenant people. And the second sign of circumcision is that the person would by grace have his sin removed from him, just as he have his foreskin removed from his body so that he can enter into this covenant with God. Now the question that may be running through some of our mind is this, why would Jesus, who was born without sin, have to be circumcised? I mean, isn't it true that he was born without sin and he was without sin till the moment he died? Well, the answer is because Jesus was born under the law and his parents Joseph and Mary are both devout Jews who would observe all the laws that were required of Israel. That is the same reason why they had observed the purification law as prescribed by Moses that is found in Le Leviticus. Therefore, that's why in verse 22, it was after 40 days of purification that Mary and Joseph came to the temple because Mary was considered clean by then. And they had followed the law through the presentation of their firstborn, which was accompanied by the giving of sacrifices. Jesus is their firstborn. And a sacrifice is usually a lamb that will be slain, but a provision was made for the poor or people who could not afford the lamb, whereby the sacrifice can then be substituted by a pair of doves or pigeon, as we see, which was the case for Joseph and Mary, who took that provision by buying the pair of birds. And then we go on to verse 25, which introduces us to the man with the revelation. 
Simeon. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us everything about Simeon except for the fact that he was righteous and a devout man. A normal man who may be elderly, but a man with an extraordinary revelation. He had received the revelation from the Lord, and the revelation was that he will not die until he has set his eyes on the Messiah, who was known to us as the consolation of Israel, one of the first terms that was used to describe Jesus. And it was in this passage, it was on this day that the revelation would finally come true for Simeon. Verse 27 informs us that it was on this day when the Holy Family was in the temple for the dedication of Jesus that the Holy Spirit came upon Simeon and led him into the temple courts to meet the Holy Family. And as soon as he had seen Jesus, the Bible tells us that he took Jesus up, he took the Messiah in his arms, and he declared, some say this is the fourth song of the infancy found in the book of Luke, and he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. We do not know when he received the revelation. We do not know how long he had been patiently waiting. But he has come to pass today as he has Jesus in his hands, staring at the Messiah face to face. The revelation have come to pass. As I was reading this, I remember what my late mentor taught me, that when you see something that impressed upon you in the Bible, highlight it and then write a footnote. My mentor used to tell me, dirty Bible, clean Christian. Clean Bible, dirty Christian. I don't know about you, you use electronic Bible, you've got to sort it out yourself. And when I read this, as I reflected, I highlighted this whole portion, and I put a footnote, and I wrote, a beautiful death. A beautiful death is when you have the revelation from God, you have the purpose, and you can serve God until your last breath. That is a beautiful death. You know, I've been reflecting on death a lot more. Some of you know that earlier this year, I caught a rare skin disorder that the doctor told me I had a 1 in 10 chance of dying when I was in the hospital. And I'm now past 42, I'm 43, I'm closer to the finishing line than the beginning. And that was reminded to me by my son sometime back this year. I woken up at 5 a.m. that day. I thought I would spend some time with the Lord. As I opened my door, I heard, Papa! And he said, come to the room. Let's lie down and talk. My son is somewhere in this hall. And then we lie down and we talk, talk, talk for about half an hour. Then suddenly he said something. My son Elijah said this. He said, Papa, now that you, are, you have lived more than half your life, what are you going to do for the other half? I turned to him, but I didn't say this. And in my mind, I was like, are you Jesus? I'll tell you what would be a beautiful death for me. I hope my parents die before me because I don't want them to mourn my death. I hope my wife die before me because I think I can handle loneliness a bit better and I want my son to be married with children around my dying bed. I think that will be a beautiful death. But that is a physical beautiful death. A beautiful spiritual death is when we know our purpose and we can serve him until we die. 
Many, many years ago, when I was a young Christian, I went to a mission field and the missionary called Moses changed my life. On the first night of the mission or second night, I can't remember, we were sitting there just talking and I asked him, what made you, brother Moses, gave up your lucrative uh, uh, engineering business to go into the mountaintop to start a mission point and to live among the indigenous people? You see, he had started this um, engineering work up there in the mountaintop where the indigenous people who were persecuted by their government can learn farming and then send the produce so that they can be self-sufficient. And soon, when people start hearing about his, his purpose and his mission, they flock to the mountains to join him, a beautiful sight, people with purpose. And he answered my question, what is there to consider when you have received your purpose from the Lord? Go after it. And then he turned to me and handed me a glass of wine and then he said, Daniel, what is your purpose? And I look at him and I say, I don't know. He said, you don't know your purpose? You're not serving God? Until the end of the trip, think about it, pray about it, lie to me even if you want, but give me a purpose. And on the last day, in the last evening, before I left the mountain, he turned to me, passed me a cup of wine, and I know what he was going to ask. I said, I know my purpose. He said, what is it? I said, I want to be a preacher. He said, good. Pursue your purpose. Your purpose may change from time to time, but pursue your purpose. Turn to your neighbor and say, have a purpose. The pages of the Bible are filled with men and women with a God-given purpose in their season. Abraham's purpose was to find, found a nation. Moses' purpose was to deliver God's people from Egypt. Joshua's purpose was to complete what Moses had done by bringing them into the promised land. Caleb's war cry for his purpose was, give me that mountain. Elijah's purpose was to defeat Baal and confront compromise. Jesus' final purpose on earth was to go to the cross. Thereafter, Peter was caught to the Jews while Paul was caught to the Gentiles. They all had a purpose. Have a purpose. And in this hall right now, each and every one of us have a purpose and we have a place to serve the Lord. Some are called to plant the church. Some are called to missions. Some are called to be a pastor. Some are called to worship like Pastor Eunice who worship and lead us in worship. Some may be called to ordination like my dear brother Andrew. Some called to be a cell leader. Others called to be a host. Others called to care for the poor. Others called to spread the good news of Jesus. We all have a purpose. And no purpose is bigger than one or the other because they all came from the same giver. A beautiful death. And now we move into the sermon proper which I will look at the prophecy of Simeon, the one that he spoke over Jesus and I've divided the prophecy into four parts. The first prophecy will be flashed on the screen right now. In the first prophecy that Simeon spoke to the uh, Joseph and Mary is this child, Jesus, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Some scholars believe that Simeon was referring to the fall of rulers, governments and empires and the rise of the kingdom of heaven. And they could be right. 
Yet some others believe that he was referring to the fall of the religious sects personified by the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes and the rise of the peasant followers of Jesus. And there could be some truth in that as well. Yet some others believe that he was referring to the fall of the self-righteous who justify themselves through their human works and the rise of sinners who were justified by Jesus because of their broken spirit and contrived hearts. There is some truth in that as well. But if you ask me, my personal opinion is that they are all correct. For when you put them all together, that is the result of the gospel. That all, that many, they were divided, some rise and some fall. There is no neutrality. You know why, my friends, and you know what determines the rising and falling of many of men lies in the key on how they view Jesus and his claim to sonship and whether they submit themselves to his teachings. Because some 2,000 years ago, when the word became flesh, it resulted in something because God was bringing clarity to salvation. Christmas Day is a day that God brought clarity to salvation. God, on Christmas Day, did away with all the ambiguities to salvation. And it showed us the path to heaven and the kingdom of heaven have very little compared to Jesus as with temples, traditions, sacrifices, and even the law, just like our tradition, our denomination, our practices, our church membership even, have very little to do with salvation as compared to Jesus Christ, even the law. Jesus said, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's saying the law is important. But I've come to fulfill it. And the writer of Hebrew tells us that the law is just a foreshadow of Jesus. You know what's a foreshadow? That is if you are in a room and there's a corridor and walking towards you and you shine a light behind me and you see a shadow moving across the wall. That is not me. That is just my shadow. That's not the real thing. The real thing only appears when I emerge. And that is Jesus. When he came, he fulfilled the laws and the prophet. He completed it. He is the way. And it wasn't just God who was precise. Jesus himself was precise with what he said about himself through the gospel. John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the way, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And in Matthew 11, a verse that is often misinterpreted about physical tiredness, Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is a rest from spiritual oppression and burden. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, not your bodies. John chapter 14, in the great proclamation, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was precise. He didn't leave room to wriggle. Matthew chapter 7, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way to destruction, and many enters it. You know, I've been a pastor for a while, and I'm, from time to time I'll be asked this question by Christians or non-Christians, in light of Jesus coming back, will, will everyone in the world really have an opportunity to, to, to hear about Jesus and meet Jesus? And my answer is always a Yes. They will encounter Jesus either through a missionary, through a Christian, through a Bible track, through a church service, or through a uh, 
production like love came down. Everyone will have a chance. And when they have the chance to encounter Jesus, they will have to make a decision. Just like 2,000 years ago, everyone had to make the decision to decide for themselves who is Jesus. Some refer this as the Louis trilemma. Some of you have heard before. That when a person is confronted with Jesus and his claim to sonship, you have three choices. One, you decide that he is a liar and you reject him. The second is that you say he is crazy and you reject him. Or the third, you acknowledge his lordship over your life and you follow him. In Jesus, there is no neutrality. And it is perhaps because of that that Simeon shared with us the second prophecy on Jesus, which is on the screen. And Simeon said to Joseph and Mary, that Jesus will be a sign that will be spoken against. Jesus will be a sign that will be spoken against. You know, someone once said that the choosing of one life's partner is the most important decision in life. I disagree completely. I think the most important decision a person has to make in his life is whether they choose Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And because, you know, if you choose the wrong wife or husband, you only suffer hell on earth temporarily. But if you choose the wrong Lord and Saviour, you suffer hell eternally, permanently. That is why during my conversion process, many, many years ago before I wanted to decide whether I wanted to follow Jesus, I went on an extensive quest for the true Jesus. I devoured the Bible. I read extra biblical, biblical material. I read all the Gospels, even Gospels that's not inside the Bible. I read the Gospel of Barnabas, of Judas, and what have you. I, I, I don't encourage you to do that. I, I, I read other books, I read interviews, I read theses, I read articles and documentaries. Then I came across this very interesting survey that was done by a US-based company. I can't remember the name. And basically what they did is they invite responses from Christians, and Christians were told to describe Jesus in one word and to key in their input. And the top 10 word that, is, that they use to describe Jesus is this. Number one, I'll, I'll just rather them off for you. Encouraging, loving, Accepting, embracing, patient, kind, compassionate, providing, nurturing, confiding, and later down the list, there's even a word called sensitive. Jesus is the first sensitive new age man. Now, I, did not how, I do not know how exhaustive this survey was conducted, but I believe even if we do one today in the contemporary world that we live in, the results may not differ much. That is the impression that people have of Jesus. And that is depicted in our modern day culture where we see photos and paintings and pictures of Jesus. And I went to Google and I checked and I went to online stores. And you often find a man who is more often than not handsome. You know, and, and, and he's very well put together. He has nice long hair, beautiful eyes, well coiffed hair, you know. And you wear a nice robe with a shawl, and sometimes they will throw in some pop props, like a lamb. Except that in the Bible, it's never been mentioned that Jesus had held a lamb in his arms. But over time, in my journey with Jesus and in my own examination of the gospel, Jesus couldn't be further from the truth. Some of us have the idea that Jesus was that all-accepting, all-popular 
all celebrated arm over shoulder pastor who's always encouraging and loving and everyone love him. That's not true through the gospel. If you really open your eyes and look at the gospel, you'll find a man who is provocative, who is, some of his actions are scandalous, and a man who is highly confrontational, a man who is so firm with his disciples that he rebuke them at the first sign of trouble. That is Jesus, not the pop culture one. In Luke chapter 10, verse, verses 17 to 18, after the 72 disciples had been sent out for mission trips ahead of Jesus to every towns and places, they felt good about themselves. They came back to Jesus because they had done a fantastic job. And they went to Jesus, perhaps expecting praises, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus turned to them and said, Hey, do not rejoice just because they submit themselves to your name, but rather rejoice later if your name is written in heaven. You don't see praises there. <laughs> Yeah, another account in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, when Simon Peter, our love, and Jesus has shared with him how he's going to go to the cross to fulfill his mission. Simon Peter, perhaps out of love, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to him and rebuked him. Get behind me, Satan. Your mind is not, your mind is not for the things of above and of Lord. That is Jesus. He was firm with his disciples. He doesn't indulge them. And Jesus didn't care about offending people at all. Matthew chapter 15, verse 12, and not for the first time and not the last time. He often offended people. One time he was preaching, he has finished preaching, and the disciples went to him, Lord, are you aware that the Pharisees are offended? And Jesus replied to them, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled down by its roots. Disregard them. They are blind guys. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Sometimes we elevate offenses. And sometimes we get offended too easily. Play the wrong song for worship and people is offended. Preach the wrong sermon that doesn't sit well with people and they email my service, my senior pastor. And Jesus was highly confrontational. At the peak of his confrontation with the religious establishment, the Pharisees and the scribes, he pronounced seven woes on them. You can check that out in Matthew 23. In broad daylight, you don't do that to the Pharisees. You don't do that to the Pharisees. And if you want to do that, do that in your heart. Not in broad daylight. And Jesus told them, describing them as hypocrites, blind guides, fools, clean on the outside, dirty on the inside, whitewashed tombs, murderous serpents, and brought of vipers, sons of the devil who were destined for hell. Tell me about that. And Jesus was offensive in one of the peak of his clashes with the Pharisees. And it was at this point that the Pharisees, I suspect, realized they cannot live with this man Jesus anymore. Jesus went into the temple, one of the pillars of Judaism. He flipped over the tables, he built a whip, and he chased the people out of the temple. This could be one of the final nails in Jesus' coffin. That is why, as Simeon said, he will be the sign that will be spoken against. We enter now into the third revelation, the third prophecy, and it's on the screen. And they told Joseph and Mary about Jesus so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Jesus will reveal the hearts of men. He did it back then and he's still doing it Again, you know, one of the things that I do nowadays when I evangelize, I've learned over the years through hard knocks and mystics, 
When I evangelize nowadays, I don't talk to people about God. God is simply too abstract, and too generic. There's too many gods out there. And I don't know them enough. I know Jesus quite well, but I don't know other gods very well. And very often, this discussion will throw up statements like, well, all gods are the same. All gods teaches us to do good. But the reality is, not all gods are the same. And not all gods teaches us to do good. But of course, I can't say that out because they'll be offended and the ISD may call me up because I'm a pastor. And I don't talk to them about religion. Religion is too abstract. I have an interest in religion. I study them, other religions, and I go for interfaith talks and dialogues. But I don't talk about religion because every time you begin the topic of religion, you have placed yourself on the opposite side. And very often, it turns into an apologetic or philosophical argument. I don't have the brain power for that. I'm not smart enough for that, so I don't do that. I don't talk about other things like the afterlife or even the four spiritual laws. I ask them about Jesus. Do you know Jesus? What do you know about him? And they will reveal to you whether they know Jesus whether they're for Jesus or they're not for Jesus, and then you can start doing your evangelism, ministry, and reconciliation. Jesus reveals the heart of men. I'll give you a few examples. I make a confession. I, before COVID, I, visited the, I visit the prostitutes once a year with my wife's permission but it's to visit them to do missions. COVID has stopped that, but I really want to go back. And the SOPs is, I, I can't tell you the reason how I got involved in this. It was a divine meeting one day when I was overseas and I got in touch with a group of pastors and they interact with me and they're like, hey, you know what? You're suitable for this role. Come join us. Come once a year. So what I do is from morning till night, they'll park me at a pub. I am the ultimate prostitute magnate. I'll sit there, I'll have a drink, and, but I have a minder with me, a translator, and then the prostitutes, sometimes they'll come over, and when they come over, I pay them by the hour, I pay them by the hour, but we don't go to a room. We stay at wherever, whichever park I was, pub I was parked at, and then the translator will come. And about four to five years ago, before COVID came, and on my last trip there, a prostitute came up. And upon sitting down there, my translator came over, she knew already, ah, very familiar, it's a trap, huh? And she sit down, and she, the first thing she said, no, no God, no God. No Christian, no Christian. I said, no, 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 not talking to you about that. I said, do you know Jesus? She said, Jesus don't want me. I dirty. I said, you are wrong. Jesus love you. I show you. And I opened the Bible and my translator took out her version of the Bible, and it showed her, I said, Jesus, surround himself with people like you, with sinners, with tax collectors, with prostitutes, and look over here. Jesus say, you guys are entering heaven ahead of the religious people. You're going to heaven ahead of me. I'm a pastor. Spending an afternoon with her, then I asked her, you want to follow Jesus? She said, can I? I said, you can. And she gave her life to Christ. Because Jesus revealed her heart that afternoon. There is a limitation to church, to doctrines, to practices, to religion. But in Jesus, there is no limitation. Give another example. Some time back, I was 
sitting down with a brother, not my blood brother, but a spiritual brother, shared with his permission, so you think I'm talking about you, I'm not. He had messed up his life. Adultery. Bad relationship with the family. Fractured relationship. Things was coming to a boy. And then one of his friends called me, a few friends called me, hey, Daniel, meet him. I always sort things like that out. So I sit down with him, I say, hey, bro, let's talk, man. What's up? Why are you doing this, this, and this? Oh, no, my father. I say, no, 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 I'm not talking about your father. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about Jesus. What do Jesus think about this? No, my wife. I say, shh, I'm not talking about your wife. I'm talking about Jesus. What do Jesus think about this? I say, shh, hey, enough. What do Jesus think? After a prolonged period of silence, he's saying, bro, I need to repent. I said, now you're talking. Now you're talking. Let's work at it. Jesus will reveal the heart of man, which will translate into their action. But don't get me wrong. It's not always so easy. For every one success case, I have about 10, 20 success cases. With this approach, I have people slamming the table, walking away, cursing me, or even cursing God himself. But we don't stop sharing Jesus to reveal the hearts of men. Worship team, may you return to the stage. As I enter into the last prophecy over Jesus. The first three prophecies were meant for Joseph and his wife, Mary. And the Bible tells us that they were amazed. But the last prophecy is meant for Mary and Mary alone about the fate of Jesus and it says, as you can see on the screen, pertaining to Jesus, as Simeon holds the baby in his arms, he look at Mary and say, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. And the sword will pierce your own soul too. I see a lot of mothers in this hall, some with your child with you, I celebrate you, I applaud you, I affirm you. Someone once said that mother is the name of God on the little hearts and lips of small children. And that is so true. Our mother nurture us, they, they have us in their wombs, they care for us, and they love us. And there's an unbreakable bond between a child and a mother. And mothering is one of the hardest jobs in the world. Sometimes you not only have to mother your children, you have to mother your husband as well. And every mother wants the best for their child. I've yet to meet a mother who means evil for the child. And even after the child has long grown up, the child is still a baby in the eyes of the mother. I know that because my mother reminds me of that. Imagine if you are married, And Simeon comes to you and says, your son shall pierce your own soul too. You know, the Son of Man will come back again one day in glory. But he first came to us, as Isaiah described, as a man of sorrow. He came to be rejected since his birth. He endured rejection he suffered accusations. 
He went through loneliness. He received physical sufferings, embraced the persecutions that come his way, and underwent temptation. temptation. And he tasted the agony of dying naked on the cross with the full weight of sin upon him. You know, throughout the gospel account, everyone rejoices at the news of the impending birth of the newborn king. John the Baptist, his cousin, leaped in the womb of his mother. Simeon, in this case, rejoices with a song of infancy. Anna, later after Simeon, rejoices. The host of angels on the night that Christ was born rejoice in heaven. The Magi from the east, upon encountering the Messiah, worship and rejoice. The shepherds likewise. And Mary likewise rejoiced at first when she received the news in chapter 1. But now the game has changed. She knows that the fate of Jesus and his effect on her was that she will be pierced. And she was pierced repeatedly throughout the life of Jesus. I believe she was first pierced when she made that long journey into Egypt, running away from Herod, worrying about whether her child in the stomach will survive, she was pierced. She was then pierced when she had to deliver her child in the manger. It wasn't a bright manger, warm with animals circling them. It was dark, wet, cold and bloody. She then was pierced repeatedly when Jesus was growing up. You see, sometimes they refer him to the son of Mary. That means they doubt his lineage. It was scandalous. You see a legitimate child. And she was pierced repeatedly as she, as she see Jesus carry out his ministry, putting his life on the line. Having people in the temple trying to grab him and stone him. He had to escape through the crowd. He had to endure the loneliness in the desert. Every time he confronted the Pharisees, she worries for his life. How could you overturn the temple, son? And she was pierced repeatedly during the trial of Jesus, one of the most scandalous trials that took place on earth, when her son was whipped, chained, and had a crown of thorns placed upon his head. And she was finally pierced when the soldier took the spear to pierce the side of her son, and water gushes out. My friend, the theme of Christmas is love, hope, joy, and peace. And this week, the theme is joy. But never forget that this joy of the Lord was exchanged by great sufferings, pain, and sacrifices. God sacrificed, Jesus sacrificed, and died. When Herod realized that he failed in his plan to kill Jesus. He killed all the newborn under the age of two in Bethlehem and around. They died. Countless after that died one by one. The apostles failed. This Bible is not just written in ink. It is written with blood. And this gospel of Jesus Christ will face opposition. Of course it will face opposition because it can conquer death and the grave and give new life to sinners. And this Bible is powerful 
You know it because your life was transformed. I know it because my life was transformed, but we are still working in progress. And the only way that this gospel can be rendered powerless is if the messenger keeps quiet. When you and I goes, the gospel is powerless. Beloved, can I invite you to close your eyes and bow your head as I lead us on the time of reflection? I want to address all of us in this hall today with three, three encouragements. The first is I want to call you to rediscover your purpose. What is your purpose? How are you serving the newborn king? All of us have dreams when we first came to the Lord. Some of our dreams have been accomplished. Some of us are still dreaming. But for some of us, the dreams have died. Today, you need to revive that dream. You need to rediscover that purpose. We need to, like Simeon, serve God until our last breath. And to all of us, I invite you, I give you a call, rediscover the beauty of the Gospels. Enter into the Gospels. Rediscover Jesus Christ for yourself. Open your eyes. Open your hearts. Open your mind. Look at Him afresh in this season. And I tell you, you will be amazed. And maybe that's when you will rediscover your purpose. And the third is this, beloved, and I say it to myself as well, do not render the gospel powerless. Open your mouth. See, it's not about you. It is about the king. Take the name of Jesus and go out there into the world. You will cause the rise of fall and fall of many. You may feel rejection. But let Jesus reveal the hearts of men and women around you. And I tell you, I tell you, do that and you'll be surprised. Love came down, it's coming down, it's coming soon in two weeks. You have the Andrew strategy cards, you have the Why Jesus booklet. Go out there, invite them to church. And put my word to the test. I'm convicted. You will be surprised. Father in heaven, this morning we ask for a fresh anointing. We want to look at you afresh. We want to see you again the way that you should be seen. And Lord, this morning we give you thanks anew for what you did for us on the cross and what our forefathers have done for us. They have gone before us and we pray for a fresh fire that you will fill us with a holy dissatisfaction to serve as your servant, your follower and your evangelist. And this we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people say, Amen, Amen. Church, please rise as we worship now.
will give up our life to the Lord. And I just want to challenge you. Just one. Just one purpose for the Lord. We discover it. Just one chapter a day to read the gospel. Just one soul for this Christmas. Just one soul. Reach out to one person. And may the Lord bless you. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for each and every man and woman who is in this hall. Lord, I thank you for their lives. Each are unique, marked by you. And you know them and you love them and you have always been with them. And Lord, as we go our way right now, may your presence go with us. So may the love of God and the grace of Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say, Amen, Amen. Service is over. If you need prayers, you may just come up to the front and we'll see you back next week.